Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Hey, I wanted to give you, uh, all of you, a special thank you. I know many of you have been praying for me, been praying for my family this week. Uh, we've all had the crud for quite some time. We thought we were done with it, and it came back. But um, God is good, because we know he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. And uh, some of you know that I've been gone all week for work. I was in South Carolina and uh, trying to fly back home on Thursday and didn't make it. So I had to stay over another night. Um, but God uses everything for a reason. So I um, was able to get some things done that had been weighing on me for some time. So very thankful to be back home. I'm very thankful that even though we were kind of down and hadn't been able to get here, the family of God stepped up and got things done. And I, you know who you are, who did all the things in the church to prepare for service today. And so I just want to say a special thank you. It means a great deal knowing that we've got each other's backs. So thank you for doing that. It means so much to, to me. It means so much to, our, to my family. Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 14 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some here on the shelf. You can follow along on the screen. <clears throat> These verses that we're about to read together, they represent the theme for this series that we're in, Live for Him. And I committed to you last week when we opened this series that we were going to read these verses every single week together. So let's look at them now. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love is what compels us. This should be the driving force in our lives. This should be what motivates us, what encourages us, and what guides us. Everything that we think and everything that we do ought to come from this love. And Jesus' love is perfect. And he proved his love by giving his life on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, that this is real love. Not that, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So this love ought to compel us to live for Him. And He gave His life for us. The question is, are we willing to give our lives for Him? Because the only way to truly live for Him is through total surrender. That's what we talked about last week. It's what the whole message was about. Total surrender means we give everything that we are, everything that we have, and everything that we'll ever hope for. We give all of that completely and totally to Jesus. We hold nothing back. We give ourselves completely to Him and we now become a living sacrifice for Him. One that is holy and pleasing to Him because that's the only reasonable response to His great mercy towards us. And our motivation for living this way, it has nothing to do with what you and I can get. Because we don't pursue Him for what we can get. We pursue Him for who He is. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. Following Him is never about getting, it's all about giving. 
And it begins with us giving ourselves completely to him and his purpose for our lives. And we do this all for the glory of God. And he deserves all the glory anyway. Every single day, we have a choice to make. Live for me or live for him. Living for me, that's easy, but that leads to spiritual death. Living for him is hard because the cost is extremely high. To live for him will cost us everything. But it's more than worth it because it's the only way that leads to spiritual life. So yes, we have to give up everything. But what we will gain is far more than anything we can ever imagine. All the money and possessions in the world would never buy us the freedom that we have solely in Jesus. So to save our lives, we have to lose our lives, which means we must surrender them completely to the lordship of Jesus. And then we've got to be willing to serve him over serving anything else, including ourselves. But sometimes we can get so busy with our own desires or our own dreams that we miss what is truly important. There's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. Nothing. But unfortunately, there are many in the church who can get so caught up in being consumers of the kingdom of God that they don't really think about being contributors to the kingdom of God. We really have to stop and ask ourselves, how are we contributing to the kingdom of God? Because true followers of Jesus are contributors more than they are consumers. Jesus died for you. How will you live for him? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We invite you here in our midst, Father. Look at our hearts. Search us and know us. If there be any offensive way in us, Father, bring that to the surface that we may repent of that, that we can bring you glory. I pray today, Jesus, that you'd minister to us in a way like we've never heard before. May your word penetrate our hearts and our minds and tune us to what we need to do as to what's important to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So to live for him, we have to communicate with him. If you've got your hand out, that's your first fill-in-blank there. To live for him, we have to communicate with him. Communication is the key to a fruitful and fulfilling relationship with him. Think about any relationship you've ever had. How good was that relationship if communication was poor? Where really only one of you was actually communicating. Or perhaps what made it poor was that there wasn't enough actual listening occurring on one or both sides of that relationship. Or maybe one other reason for being poor was that what was communicated wasn't actually truth. Nothing can corrupt a relationship more than secrets and lies. For any relationship to be successful, there must be an open honest and healthy two-way dialogue with both sides listening and speaking truth. That's what provides the basis for a relationship to thrive. So to live for Jesus, we have to communicate with Jesus. Everything rises or falls upon this principle. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together talking about how communication 
in our effort to live for him, what that truly means and why that matters. Now, while there are a whole bunch of ways that we can communicate with God, the primary way that he speaks to us is through the Bible. And the primary way that we speak to him is through prayer. One thing we've got to understand is that God will always speak the truth. Always. He will never lie. And while there are many ways that he can speak to us, whether it's through using other people or visions or dreams or even through our own thoughts, he will never contradict his word. Never. The challenge for a lot of people today is that they will often seek extra biblical ways to hear from God when it is the Bible itself that's the primary way God speaks to us. That is so good and so important, I'm going to say it again. The challenge for so many people today is that they will often seek extra biblical ways to hear from God when it is the Bible itself that's the primary way that he speaks to us. So if we really want to hear from God, we need to be listening to him through his word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to, ans- to our ancestors throughout, through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he has created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Here, the author of Hebrews is making it clear that in the past, God spoke to his people many times and in many ways. But now, now, today, the primary way that he speaks to us is through his son, Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact and full revelation of God in the flesh. Jesus shows us the very character of God. And all of God's attributes are fully and completely expressed through him. Now, let's take this a step further in case you might be saying to yourself, well, great, God speaks to Jesus, or God speaks through Jesus. But how do I hear from Jesus since he's now sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven? He's not here on this earth in the flesh. How can I hear from him? Well, the answer is simply, Jesus is the word of God. He is the word of God. And when we read and study the word of God, we are actually hearing directly from God. John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14 make this truth very clear. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of God, which is why he is the primary way for us to hear from God. So God speaks through his son, Jesus, and Jesus is the written word of God. And in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie. And since Jesus is the word of God, nothing God says will ever contradict his word. Because if it did, he would be contradicting himself. And that's impossible because God cannot lie. He is nothing but truth. So you can be assured. You can be assured when you read and study the word of God, you are not only hearing the truth, you are hearing God speak to you directly. God is always speaking to us. But the real question is, are we listening? 
God has given every believer His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will only speak truth and what God specifically tells Him to say. So if you're ever in question about what you think you hear, and it contradicts the Word of God in any way, you can be assured it's not from God. If anything ever contradicts the Word of God, it is not from God. But to hear from God, we need to be listening to God. And to listen to God, we need to be reading and studying the Word of God. Now, here's what's so awesome about the Word of God. The Bible is made up of 66 different books written by approximately 40 different authors over a span of about 1,600 years. It's the most popular book of all time, and it has one primary theme, the glory of God and the salvation of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Woo! Yes, one primary theme. The words of the Bible came directly from God, and it was His Holy Spirit that moved in the hearts of all those who wrote the books of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is the divine author and originator of our Bible. In the Old Testament alone, the human writers referred to their writings as the Word of God over 3,800 times. So Scripture is not the result of man's interpretation, nor is it the product of human effort. God used the individual personalities and experiences of the human writers, but it was the Holy Spirit who breathed words into their hearts and minds. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The phrase given by inspiration of God, it literally means that the words of the Bible were breathed out by God Himself. And because God cannot lie, it is truth just as John chapter 17, verse 17 says it is. The Bible, God's holy word, is truth. It's absolute truth, all of it. The Bible is not a spiritual buffet where we select our favorite passages and skip over the ones we don't like. That would be just like selective listening where we only hear what we want to hear. No, the entire Bible is truth, and we can't just pick and choose what we want to hear. Nor can we be preoccupied with trying to hear God outside the Bible just because we don't know, don't like, or don't agree with what he's already said in the Bible. The Bible is the primary means by which he speaks to us. And if he never said anything else outside of the Bible, it would still be more than enough. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, His word is alive and active. That means it's living, and it's always at work. It's life-changing, and it never comes back void. It always accomplishes every purpose that the Father has and that He intends. The Bible is so incredibly awesome because what God shows you today through His Word may be something totally different the next time you read that same passage because it's alive and active. It is always working. It can encourage you, it can teach you, it can correct you, it can equip you with everything you need in this life. Now, one thing many people struggle with is understanding God's will. They don't understand God's will for their lives. So many people want to know, what is the will of God for my life? So many people want to know that. 
Well, the answer to that struggle is right here in the word of God. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To know the will of God, we must be renewing our minds. To know the will of God, we've got to be doing that. And to renew our minds, it must be that we're filling our minds with God's word. There is no secret formula to renewing our minds. It all comes from God speaking to us through his word. It's his word that provides a way for us to be changed from the inside out. It's his word that brings alignment of our will to his will. It's his word that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's his word that builds our faith. It's his word that when we obey it, it will revolutionize our lives. And it's his word that allows us to truly know him. Do you know him? Amen. Do you know him today? God is always speaking, but are we really listening? What kind of relationship do we have with the word? I mean, honestly, ask yourself, how often are you reading it? Because to live for him, we have to communicate with him. And to communicate with him, we must be hearing him speak through his word. If it's not a daily habit for you, I pray that the Lord God Almighty would draw you into himself so that it becomes the most important part of your life every day. Can you imagine going through life only hearing from those closest to you only occasionally? I mean, think about it. Think about living under the same roof with your family, but you only listen to them maybe one time a week or perhaps once a month or maybe very infrequently. What kind of relationship would that be? Yet that's unfortunately the kind of relationship many people have with the Bible. Now, I want us all to hear the words of King David so we can fully understand the kind of relationship that he had with the Word of God. Because he was referred to as a man after God's own heart. And to live for him, we must be men and women after God's own heart. Here's some of what he said in Psalm 119. We'll begin here in verses 1 through 3. He said, Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. When we listen to God speak to us through his word and then we follow what we hear with all of our heart, we will be full of joy. Do you need joy? Who needs joy today? Yes then listen to God speak to you through his word and then obey what you hear because you will be filled with joy. That's what David is saying here. He's also saying that when we obey what we hear and we search for God with all of our hearts, we do not compromise with evil. In other words, we stay away from evil because we don't walk the path of evil. We walk the path of God. Now, in verse 11, David says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Who's heard that one before? Yeah. When we really know God's word, it keeps us from sinning. We do that by memorizing his word. It's why we teach scripture memorization as part of our discipleship program. Nothing will keep you from sin more than hiding his word in your heart. 
Verse 34, it says, Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Understanding comes the more we hear the word of God. And then we're not just to hear it. We're to obey it with all of our hearts. We've got to ask ourselves, do we have this kind of relationship with the word of God? Are we hearing and then obeying? Verse 47 and 48. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Notice the passion here. David delights in God's commands. He loves them. He honors them. And he meditates on them. Is that how we approach the word of God? Do we listen to God speak because we delight in what he says? Because we love and honor what he says? And then do we seriously think about what he says? That's all meditation is. It's focused thinking. It's thinking seriously about something. Verse 74. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. Is your hope in his word? His word is truth, and it will never fail you. Where is your hope? Verse 97. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. We cannot think about his word if we're not listening to God speak to us through his word. Verse 103 through 105. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His words are sweeter than honey. We know how sweet honey is, right? His words are sweeter than that. That's how good it is. And listening to God speak through His word is how we get understanding. When we have this kind of relationship with the word, we know the true way, and we will love this way. Which then means we develop a hatred for every false way. His word is just like a lamp that lights up everything around us so we can see everything about our feet and know where we're going, and know the direction that we should be going in. Without his word, we have no light, and we stumble in darkness. Verses 111 through 112, it says, Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. His word should be the desire of our heart that draws us to obey what we hear for as long as we're here on this earth. Verse 133, Guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. His word guides us and keeps us from evil. And verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. As we've already said, the word is truth. There is nothing false about his word, and it lasts forever. It will never, ever change. That's the kind of relationship that David had with the word of God. And he didn't even have the New Testament when all this was written. You and I have both the Old and the New Testament. There is even more for us to hear. There's more for us to love. And there's more for us to obey than King David had. So to live for Jesus, we have to communicate with Jesus. And that communication begins with us understanding to listen for God's voice. And while he can speak to us in a variety of ways, whether it's through other people, 
through our circumstances, through our dreams, or through our thoughts, the primary way that he speaks to us is through the Bible. Regardless of how he chooses to speak to us, it will always be truth, and it will never contradict what he's already said in the Bible. So like communication in any good relationship, it is a healthy two-way dialogue. God speaks to us primarily through his word, and we speak to him primarily through prayer. So let's talk about what does it mean to communicate with God in prayer. Prayer is simply a means for us to talk with God. That's all that is. It doesn't have to be some lofty or grandiose speech when we talk to God. We don't have to think about what kind of, how we're going to sound when we talk to God. You just talk to him, just like you and I would talk. And we also don't have to repeat his name over and over again. Did you know that? Lord God, Father, Heavenly, Lord God. We don't have to do that. We don't do that with one another. I don't look at Janet and say, hey, Janet, how are you doing today, Janet? Good job, Janet. I'm so glad to talk to you, Janet. We don't have to do that. Now, I know I'm, I'm poking fun. It does, you know what I'm saying, right? You just talk to him normal. God knows his own name. He does. Listen, we should talk to him with a certain level of reverence, of course. But we can speak to him just like we speak to one another. Just tell him what's on your mind and how you're feeling. Listen, he can handle anything you tell him. Anything. God loves you, and he wants to hear from you. He's just like any loving father that wants to hear from his children. Now, there are some helpful tips that I want to share with you about how we can pray. The first thing that I want to talk about is what can hinder our prayers. What can get in the way of our prayers being heard? Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities are separating you from our God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not listen. Our sins create a barrier between us and God. And if we're engaged in sinful activity and we expect God to to hear us, this truth from this text tells us he's not going to hear us. So what do we do about this? Easy. Repent. We've got to repent. We've talked a lot about repentance lately. Basically, this just just means that we need to own our sin. We need to change our mind about it, which then leads us to change our behavior about it and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. We do that for forgiveness, and then we can know that God will hear us when we pray. Husbands, this next one's specifically for you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You're welcome, by the way. (laughs) You husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Mm. So men, if you ever feel like God is not listening to your prayers, check how you're treating your wife. We are to love her just like Jesus loved the church. So are you treating her the same way that Jesus would be treating his church? If not, repent and then make it right. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. This is good right here. You guys ready? I'm going to hit close to home for some of you. How many Catholics do we have in the room or former Catholics? I've got a few. Okay, that was me. So just 
just warning you before I get there. Here's what he says. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Now, the New King James actually renders this vain repetitions is what it would say. We don't need to recite the same thing over and over again. And there are sadly some religions and denominations that actually teach the exact opposite here. Vain repetitions have no life in them whatsoever. They are dead and have no value. Now, I remember growing up reciting all kinds of prayers, especially before a meal. Tell me if you've heard this one. God is good. God is great. Let us thank us for his food. Amen. Dig in. Remember that one? How about this one? Or just before bed, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Remember that? If these things are spouted off from rote memory with no heart behind them, they mean nothing. Nothing at all. Now, as I said, I grew up Catholic until I was 12 years old. Some of you know I'm a spiritual mutt. On one, on one side of the spectrum, I was Catholic. On the other side of the spectrum, I went to Pentecostal and all these denominations in between. Oh, man, Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, there's a whole bunch of them. So I call myself a spiritual mutt. That's my heritage. But in my days in Catholicism, I used to see people praying the rosary prayer over and over again. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee, blah, blah, blah over and over again it kind of reminded me of the days when we were in grade school remember this and you'd mess up in grade school and what would the teacher do send you to the blackboard and you'd have to write on the blackboard i will not say or i will not do 50 times or whatever it was who remembers that that's what the hail mary thing to me was in catholicism right there oh you sin go say 20 hail marys and everything will be okay I know I'm poking fun here, but it's the truth. Vain repetitions mean absolutely nothing. And here's what's even more important. Not to mention the only one we are to pray to is God himself. Not Mary, not any of the saints, nor any of the angels, nor your dead loved ones. Only God himself. Also, another thing I observed in so many different denominations is how much we recite the Lord's Prayer. But God never intended for us to do that. He didn't say in his word what to pray. He said, here's how to pray. In other words, what we call the Lord's Prayer is meant for us as a model for how to pray, not specifically what to pray. So when we recite it over and over again, it can be just another vain repetition with no meaning in it. So let's look at what Jesus said. Let's look at what he said on how to pray. You can turn to Matthew chapter 6. And you can follow along with me. First, he said, don't be like the hypocrites because they want to be seen by people. Hypocrites. That was like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, they love to get on the street corner and they get and pray. Oh, God almighty. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Woo, look at me. It was a big show to them. That is not how we're supposed to pray. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't make it a show. Then he says, pray to your father, meaning he is the only one that we should direct our prayers to. Then he said, don't babble on and on with words 
right? Don't use many words when you're babbling on and on, which is what we just went over. And right after what not to do, Jesus said, you should pray like this. And that's what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Here's what it says. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice what Jesus said first. You should pray like this. Not you should pray this specific prayer. He's teaching us how to pray, not what to pray. It's a model example or a general guideline for us on how we should pray. So let's break down this prayer together. There's six elements to it. The first three elements in this prayer, they relate to God. The next three relate to us. So the first thing here is we give praise by honoring his name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Number two, we pray that his kingdom come. We should be excited about his return to this earth and the new kingdom that he's going to set up when he comes back again. So we pray that. And number three, we pray for his will to be done. Not our will, his will to be done. So the first three relate to God. The next three relate to us. Number four, we pray for our daily needs to be met. So in other words, we don't need to necessarily dump out everything that we want or everything that we need. We don't have to do that. He wants us to depend on him daily. So the focus should be on what we need for today. Number five, we pray for forgiveness. And number six, we pray for deliverance from the evil one, from Satan, from our enemy. Jesus gave his disciples a pattern for how to pray. And it started with adoration. And it ended with supplication. Adoration, giving praise to God. Supplication, fancy word for saying, put your requests before God and do it in a humble manner. That's all supplication is. And notice that Jesus' pattern always began with adoration, praising God, praising Him for who He is before making your requests in supplication. I don't know about you, but I have found myself more times than I care to count running to God in prayer and word vomiting all over Him of all the needs that I want, right? Just making my requests, without even thinking about coming to Him and saying, Oh God, praise you for who you are. Thank you for being my rock. You are the Lord God Almighty. I know I can trust you. You're praising him for who he is. That's what we should do when we're praying to him. That's how we should start. We can't skip that and just jump right to our requests. Jesus's pattern of prayer is very helpful to us as it reminds us of what's most important, and that is praising him for who he is. Now, who took part in lesson one of our discipleship last week? Book two. Who was in book two, lesson one last week? Okay, this is for you. Who remembers what the acrostic is, how to help us to know what to pray? I heard it. Acts. I'll get to to that. Don't steal my punchline. Okay, so here it is. Acts. This is a framework for how to pray. This is what was laid out in our discipleship in lesson one of book two. So Acts, adoration, praising God for all that he is. 
The C is confession, laying down our disobedience at his feet. This is where we're confessing our sins. T is for thanksgiving, thanking him for who he is and all he's done. And then the S in supplication, making our requests known to him. Now, this is just a helpful reminder on what to pray. In that book, they also talked about how some people like to confess their sins first. So then the acrostic would be cats. For you cat lovers, oh, maybe that worked for you. I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really a cat guy, so I think I'll stick with Axe. But either way, Axe, Cats, whatever, it's something good to remember. And I found myself this morning as I was praying, going through this in my mind, you know, starting out with, okay, hey, I'm going to praise God first. And then I go right on down the list. This is great. It's a great rhythm to get into when you're praying with him. And I also think what's pretty awesome is uh, how God lines everything up. It is so cool. I'm sitting here writing the message this week as I was in South Carolina, and I hadn't done my lesson one and two in the discipleship. I already wrote the message. And then I came back as I was going through book two, lesson one, and I went, oh, man, this relates right to what we're speaking on on Sunday. How cool is that? I better put that in there. Make sure you guys were paying attention in your class last week. (laughs) No, I do that because I want to make it relevant. God is so good. He wants us to be able to come to him and share what's on our heart. Now, one element that was not called out specifically in Jesus' pattern for prayer, if you go back to the Lord's Prayer and you look at it, thanksgiving or giving thanks was not in the Lord's Prayer. It was noticeably absent. Now, one reason that I can't say this for sure, but this is just my feeling on it, I think one of the reasons that it wasn't there is because as a Christian, this should just be built into your spiritual DNA all the time. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says that we are to give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for us. In other words, thankfulness in everything is a way of life for Christ followers. It's a way of life. It should just happen naturally because that's just part of following Jesus, being thankful. Now, one thing we need to remember when we pray is that whatever we need, we shouldn't be shy about asking for it, whatever it is. If it's wisdom that you need, James chapter 1, verse 5, not only says we should ask for it, but when we do ask for it, we should know that we will receive it. That's a promise. And there are all kinds of promises like that in the Bible that we can pray for and know that God will answer because he will always answer when we pray according to his will. Every time, guaranteed. Because God always fulfills his promises. Now, praying his will is important. It's really important. Which is why I started today with his word. If you know his word, then you will know his will. And therefore, you will know what you can ask for. James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3 is a great reminder of why we may not be receiving what we want. Here's what it says. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. There's the first reason. We just don't ask. Here's the second one. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So our motive for asking has to be right if we expect to receive what we ask for. Knowing God's will is the key to receiving what we ask for. And as I've already said, to know his will We have to know his word. There is so much more that I'd love to share with you about prayer, but I'm running out of time this morning. 
So let me begin to wind all this down. And it, I want to do one more thing before we do that. One more verse. Here it is, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do and yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You and I can come boldly to the throne of grace, and we can pray to our Father in heaven directly. We don't have to go through anyone else to get to God. We can pray directly to him ourselves. And that was all made possible because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The veil in the temple, as I've said before, was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And it was at that moment that direct access was made possible for us to come into God's presence and speak directly to him. As we said last week, any of us who believe in Jesus, we are now holy priests, and we can speak to him anytime and any place. We can now come boldly to him, and we will receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. To live for Jesus, we must communicate with Jesus. The primary way he speaks to us is through the Bible, and the primary way we speak to him is through prayer. To live for him means our relationship is driven by a two-way dialogue. We listen and he speaks, and we speak and he listens. God is always speaking, but are we really listening? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious, merciful, and loving God. We love you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you that you have given us direct access to you as a loving father would. You've made a way when there was no other way by the death of your son on the cross who rose again after three days of being in the grave and made possible for us to be saved. I thank you for that truth, Lord. That is the power of God unto everyone who would believe. Lord, I just pray right now that you'd minister to each one of us in a way that reminds us we need to talk to you. We need to listen to you. We can't go through our daily life without communicating with, with you if we call ourselves Christ followers. And so, Lord, draw us deeper into a relationship with you to where we listen and to where we speak, and we do it, and it's just real. We're just authentic before you. Help that to just be part of who we are. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word that reminds us of how we're to live our life, that we would have, help us all to have hearts like David had, where he was a man after your own heart. Help us to be that. I pray right now, Jesus, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you or isn't walking with you, that your Holy Spirit would come into their heart and draw them to you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're here today and you'd like prayer, you want to come forward and have someone pray with you, I'll be up here. I'd be happy to do that. If you're unsure about your faith or about your salvation, come see me. I'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you. Good to have you right in the front, man. Thank you.